Father, we just want to thank you. Final Sabbath of this month. One, a quarter of the year will be over. One third, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord, that all of us will continue to tune in, O Lord Jesus, to your spirit. Your word says, O Lord, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the spirit of the Lord has to say in this last hour of time. Father, we just thank you, Father, once again this morning, we commit this time of meditation into your hands. Father, renew us and transform us a little more and wash us by the water of the word. And Father, anoint us to understand and to obey whatever we hear from your throne this morning. Whatever is of man, let it fall to the ground. Whatever is of God, let it, Father, find fertile soil, a ground that is well prepared and let it bear fruit in our lives. To that end, I pray that you would bless the speaking and the hearing of this word. Anoint us all once again. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, uh, when Jesus was uh, around and he would teach a lot of parables and uh, speak a lot of teachings and parables. And it says, once he finished the parables, you would say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And uh, that's what when, that's when he was around. Uh, once he is gone, uh, when he speaks uh, in the final letters, if you will, the final letter, of course, is not, um, it's the book of Revelation, where he speaks to the churches. And when he speaks to the churches, he says, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit of the Lord has to say. That's interesting, isn't it? When he was around in this world, he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he's gone and when he's speaking his final letter to all the churches, he would say, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit of the Lord has to say. And there is a reason why the person of the Holy Spirit in these last hours of time is, he is the one who's going to lead us into all truth. He's going to warn us of things to come, says in John's Gospel. And therefore, we have to be very sensitive to him, never take him for granted, never break his heart. Yeah? If you can please once again turn to Ephesians chapter 4 uh, and verses 29 to 30. Look at what it says and we can um, see it in both the message and uh, the other translation. It says, let no corrupt word uh, proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. And verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The day of redemption is coming and you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God and therefore don't grieve him. Okay, don't grieve him. All right. And that is what even in the message, we'll look at verse 29 and 30 in the message translation. I like it. Uh, Watch the way you talk. It says, let not foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps each word a gift. Verse 30, do not grieve God. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for 
himself don't take such a gift for granted. So what a powerful, powerful rendering of these two verses. And therefore this morning, you know, uh, if you turn to Psalm 95 and verse 6 to 8 onwards, look at what it says. And then we will look at um, Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 7. Oh, come, let us and worship, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. And that's one of the attitudes with which we come out. It's a posture of not just the body. It is a posture of your mind. That is the reason why scripture says be transformed in the attitude of your mind, in the spirit of your mind, so that you have a good posture before the Lord, a posture where you can be uh, teachable. Okay, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. And he says today, if you you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Again, Hebrews chapter 3 verse 7. Look at how... um, the writer of Hebrews renders this. He says, therefore, the Holy Spirit says in verse 7, Hebrews chapter 3, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So we've been sealed for the Holy by the Holy Spirit of promise for the day of redemption. And he is the one who ministers the word to us. His word, this is just not the uh, logos as we keep uh, hearing. It is the Rima word of God. It is the Spirit which gives life, the flesh profits nothing. So therefore this morning, we don't want to harden our hearts, right? It says in Romans chapter 2, if you will, turn to Romans chapter 2 and verses 4 and 5. Look at what he says, The Paul says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of Lord leads you to what? Repentance, but in accordance with your hardness and unrepentant heart. My goodness, let us not have that. What are you doing? You're treasuring up for yourself. (laughs) That is amazing, isn't it? Treasuring. (laughs) Literally depositing in your bank account on the day, whatever that is, for yourselves. uh, Wraths in the day of wrath when the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Therefore, uh, understand, uh, we looked at uh, Exodus chapter Exodus chapter 7 yesterday. And if you actually read through the book of Exodus, you will see 19 times the word harden is mentioned with Pharaoh. Hard or hardened. And you'll see uh, Pharaoh hardened his heart. His heart grew harder. Pharaoh hardened. The Lord hardened. And you'll see but one of the things that, it's a, it's a very scary thing. And therefore, if you learn, if you turn with me to uh, <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 29, verse 1, and Proverbs chapter 28, verse 14, after that. Look at what he says. He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be, suddenly be destroyed. And that without remedy. That's exactly what happened to Pharaoh. It's destroyed and there was no turning back. After that, uh, Egypt will never be the same again. Yeah. Then verse 20, uh, chapter 28, verse 14. Happy is the man who is always reverent. Okay. Having the attitude of reverence towards God always. What a, what an attitude for, we need to pray for, for ourselves. Happy is the man that we revere God's word. We revere, uh, God's, uh, sanctuary, that we don't take things for granted. No, when it says worship the Lord and the beauty of holiness, it's like clothing yourselves with with uh, with with garments which bring honor to the to the person whom we are coming and worshiping, right? For example, if you go to any earthly king, there is a protocol. Even your dress is a protocol. You cannot come with whatever dress casually. Okay, even you, you might think that it is, it is good and decent wear, but those people will not even allow you. And some of the conferences I went 
when I was in in US, you know, if you don't have a suit, they don't even allow you into the conference. They just say, tata, bye-bye, go, get out. You know, this is, if you have earthly people, uh, you know, demand kind that kind of a respect, how much more God? And he says, we are, he's not looking at the outward appearance, of course. He's talking about the, to worship the Lord and the beauty of holiness, to be clothed with humility. And he says, clothe yourselves with humility, one, one, uh, one another, and uh, humble yourself. Uh, under the mighty hand of God. So happy is the man who is always irreverent. But he who hardens his heart. May know. What does it say? Will fall into calamity. So we don't want to harden our heart. We don't. We want to be sensitive to the wings of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Alright. Don't ever take those blessings for granted. Alright. So let's uh, turn to uh, Exodus chapter 7. And we'll see. Uh, Three um, judgments only, briefly, and learn a, a very important lesson. Uh, verse 14 onwards, and Exodus chapter 7. So, the Lord uh, said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water, and you shall stand by the river's a bank to meet him and the rod which is which was turned to a serpent you shall take in your hand and and you shall say to him the lord god of the hebrews has sent me to you saying let my people go that we may serve you that they may serve me in the wilderness but indeed until now you would not hear thus says the lord by this you shall know that i am the lord behold i will strike the waters which are in the rivers with the rod that it may that is in my hand and they shall be turned to blood and you'll see this uh, particular sign that uh, Moses does. The entire Nile is full of blood. Every pitcher of water and every stone jar is full of blood. Every pool in uh, in Egypt is full of blood. And, and Nile is stinking. The whole Egypt is stinking for how many days? For seven days. And it's interesting that they go, the Egyptians run, run here and there and start digging for water, but they don't find water. But they will never turn their heart to God. Seven days. When the ark is done, isn't it interesting? Seven days is still there. Moses, I mean, uh, 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 Noah and his entire family get in. The animals get in. Seven days, God waits, but nobody turns towards God. What is God doing over here? He's doing something very interesting. He's doing, what is he doing here in one sense? He's doing He's judging the the sustenance of Egypt. The econ- economy of Egypt is being judged. Nile was was uh, the one thing which used to water, uh, which was which was the source of economy of Egypt, and that was judged. Okay, God judged the lifeline of Egypt, that which the Egyptians trusted for their sustenance. The river Nile was that which helped the Egyptian economy and God judged it first. It was the God of the Egyptians, literally. They exchanged the the glory of the immortal God and worshipped and served the 
creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever amen and you'll see if you if you if you so many uh, authors uh, have written this books it's called um, god against the gods of egypt okay that's exactly what he does you know on the day when the passover lamb is um, slain he says from today i'm going to do one thing i'm going to judge the gods of the egyptians that which they trusted and first thing he judges is their lifeline that it is judged their economy, the what they trusted in. The Lord repeatedly tells us, no? Okay, that is exactly what the Gentiles look for. What do they look for? What shall we eat? What shall we drink? And what shall we put on? That's exactly what they seek for. And he says, this, what, this is what the Gentiles seek for. Don't seek those things. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. How different it is in the promised land. Do you know how it is different in the promised land? Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 11, where something very interesting is mentioned about how uh, the promised land is, is going to be sustained. Okay, it's uh, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 10 onwards. Okay, look at what it says. But the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt. You see, you see that? From which you have come, where you sowed your seed and watered it by food as a vegetable garden. But the land which you cross over to possess is the land of hills and valleys which drinks water from the rain of heaven. Isn't it amazing? That's the promised land. Okay, that's, so what, what, what was God telling? Your sustenance doesn't come from this, from what the Egyptians trusted in. Your sustenance comes from me. Okay, and let's move on. A land for which the Lord your God cares, the eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. And it shall be if you earnestly obey my commands, which I command you today to love the Lord your God and serve with all of your heart. You know, I'm going to be there. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your seed. I'm going to ensure that you have sufficient. And you know what? You what? I'm going to bless you so much that every six years you just give the land rest on the seventh year. You will be an object lesson to the rest of the world when the rest of the world is going and tilling and working hard. You would be present, spending time in the presence of the Lord, which is not easy, by the way, to trust God like that, right? Not easy. What, are, what, you, what you would be telling the rest of the world is that, you know what? My sustenance doesn't come from God, from, from this world. It doesn't even come from my hard work. What, where it comes from? It comes from God. Okay. So that is how different the promised land is and we as believers and God's people we have to take these lessons to heart and say you know what I don't believe in this world and this world system is not my lifeline it's already been judged that is the reason why Paul would say in Galatians he would say I would only boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ for by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world Okay, it has been judged. The ruler of this world has been judged. And all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father. And who, if anyone loves, loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So the first thing he does, he shows that the, the economy of this world is judged. So what, is the, what do the enchant, uh, enchanters do? Look at what it says in Exodus chapter 7 verse 22 and Exodus chapter 8 verse 7. Both these verses I want us to see. The magicians of the Egypt did so with their enchantments. What did they do? They, they brought more blood. 8 and verse 7. This is after, this is the, the frogs, okay? Um, and the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs in, Egypt, in, in, in the land of Egypt. It's Unbelievable, isn't it? So what, what is, what it tells me is this. 
the wisdom of this world is only going to make matters worse. It's not going to help you out. With all the technology that we have, it's not. It's only making matters worse for us. I mean, for example, if you turn with me, the judgment on Egyptians. Okay, before before we go there, I want you to look at uh, Psalm seventy-eight, verse forty-two. Something very interesting has mentioned over there. Forty-two onwards. Okay, forty-two and forty-two to forty-four. Psalm seventy-eight, verses forty-two onwards. Forty-two to forty-four. Yeah, they did not remember his power. That is uh, the Israelites. The day when he redeemed them from the enemy. When he worked, okay, when he, when he worked his science in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zoan and verse 44, turned their rivers into blood and their streams that they could not drink. By the way, this was, this particular sign was also experienced by the, by the Israelites, by the way. You know this very well, right? So keep, keep that in, keep that in mind. So what is Zoan? You know what Zoan means? The place of departure. That's what Zoan means. Egypt is also called what? Zoan. This world is not my permanent place. This is the place of my departure. I'm a stranger in this place. So the wisdom which tries to keep you comfortable in Egypt is something absolutely not of the enemy. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 19. And let's read from 1 to 10 quickly and then verses 11 to 15 slowly. The burden against Egypt. Behold, the Lord rides on a swift cloud and will come into Egypt. The idols of Egypt will totter at his presence and the heart of Egypt will melt in its midst. I will set Egyptians against Egyptians. Everyone will fight against his brother and everyone against his neighbor. City against city, kingdom against kingdom. The spirit of Egypt will fall in its midst or fail in its midst. I will destroy their council. And they will consult the idols and the charmers, the mediums and the sorcerers. And the Egyptians I will give into the hand of a cruel master. And the fierce king will rule over them, says the Lord, the Lord of hosts. And their waters will fail. Okay, there's a judgment on their waters, which is essentially the river Nile. Now read verse 11 onwards. Very interesting. 11 to 15. Surely the princes of Zoan are fools. Who are the princes of Zoan? (laughs) All these rulers. Pharaoh's wise counselor are, wise counselors are brutish or foolish. They give foolish counsel. How do you say to Pharaoh, I am the son of the wise, the son of the ancient kings? And then, where are they? Where are your wise men? Let them tell you now and let them know what the Lord of hosts has purposed against Egypt. Is something very, very interesting about the world. No? Remember, when Pharaoh has his dream in Genesis, what are the first Resort that he does, he calls all the wise men and the sorcerers and the enchanters. They are not able to say. And then suddenly the wine, the cup bearer will remember Joseph. Okay. And he comes and gives them counsel. Now what happens? Again, there's a problem. Whom does he call? <laughs> he calls the wise men, the chanters and the enchanters. Nebuchadnezzar. He has a dream. Whom does he call? All the sorcerers and the wise men of the Egyptians. Are they able to answer? No, that he t- he makes it matters a little more difficult. He says, first you tell me the dream and its interpretation. I know, I know you fellows. Okay, you you tell you you're telling me you have got all your PhDs and H2O force in whatever enchantment arts you have. If you're really really connected to God, you'll tell me. Let me see if you turkeys can cut it. In other words, 
or I'll cut you into as my turkey. Okay. So what? And he tells them the the what do you say? Their uh, professional um, what do you say? What do you call it? Uh, appraisal has been very very clearly mentioned. If you tell me, I will promote you. If you don't tell me, your house will be made into a dunghill. And then what happens? You know the story that Daniel comes and uh, he is able to interpret the dream and give him the interpretation. Again, Nebuchadnezzar dreams the second time. Whom does he call? Like enchanters, they have never learned their lesson. Their resort always is the is the wisdom of this world. And then again, Belteshazzar comes. Writing on the wall. Whom does he call? The enchanters again. You see, when there is a spiritual problem, the world always looks for hmm, solutions from the universities. Nobody looks at, at for solutions from godly point of view. And even Belshazzar is completely startled as to what to do. His mother or his grandmother will come and say, there's a man called him and call him, etc. And then Daniel comes and you'll know, and you know, he interprets it. That is exactly the spirit of this world. They never learn their lesson. They harden their hearts. They look for worldly solutions to spiritual problems. And we as believers, what do we look for? Do we look for worldly solutions or spiritual problems? Have you seen so many believers, instead of running to God, they run to all the other experts. When none of those experts fail, uh, are able to give them an answer, then they will come. You know, the rogue's last resort is God for them. You are a rogue, basically. Understand this, my dear brothers. This is such a tremendous lesson, object lesson for all of us that we do not go to the world to seek solutions for spiritual problems. Have you seen? Nobody is, this entire world is in chaos. Has anybody said, let us repent? This is of God. Very few. It's a sad state of affairs. If you can actually turn it to, turn to Isaiah chapter 19 verses uh, 11 to 15 in the message, it's even more interesting. Message gives it a little more interesting twist. Okay. Look at what it says. The princes, uh, is it the message? Yeah. The princes of Zoan are fools. The advisors of Pharaoh's are Pharaoh are stupid. How could any of you dare tell Pharaoh, trust me, I, I'm wise, I know what's going on. Why am I, why I'm descended from the old wisdom of Egypt? There's not a wise man or woman left in the country. If there were, one of them would tell tell you what the God of angel armies has in mind for Egypt. What is the what is the what is in mind for God for Egypt? Destruction. And then go on. As it is, the princes princes of Zoan are fools, and the princes of Memphis are dunces. <laughs> you know what is the what what is the synonym for dunce? Dum dum. <laughs> They're all dum dums basically. The honored pillars of your society have led Egypt into detours and dead ends. The honored pillars, your knights, and all your doctors with all your research facilities all around the world have taken you where? To detours and dead ends. You know, they, they, oh, this is 5G crisis. Oh, no, no, this is, this is uh, uh, some mutation crisis. And this is this crisis. Nobody has a solution. It is a dead end. And there's only one solution. And the solution is God. Nobody will say that. Okay? Nobody will say that. It's a dead end. All detours and dead ends. Verse 14, God has scrambled their brains. Though they don't understand that. What has God done? You know what scrambled, you know? 
scrambled egg. It's called dola dola in Telugu. Dola dola. Usko dola dola bana diya. Bujiya. Anda bujiya bana diya usko. Exactly. Your brains have become bujiya. God has scrambled their brains. Egypt has become a falling down in his own vomit dunk. Egypt's hopeless, past helping, a senile, doddering, old fool. Oh, this is Eugene Peterson at his best. It's amazing. This is what Pharaoh is looking up to. And what are they doing? What are they doing? They're only not alleviating the problem. They're only amplifying the problem. And that's exactly what people do. No, They amplify the problem. What is amplification of the problem? You don't understand the problem, I'll explain to you. That's all. That is what, that is what we call as amplification. Are you, where is the solution? No, no, no. We only know how to amplify. We do not know how to solve. Seriously, I'm not kidding. So if so, what, we, what they do is give us abstracts, first of all. You know what abstract is, right? Precisely tell us what we don't understand. That is what abstract is. If, have you ever seen a research paper? Abstract. What is it? Precisely tell us what we don't understand. And amplify it. Later on. That's exactly what the world is. They do not solve the problems. They only amplify the problem. That's what happened. That's what happened over here. And Pharaoh is a fool. And he's going to listen to them. And harden his heart. Question to all of us. Whom do we go? Whom do we go to? When we see situations in our homes. Even if it is a minute situation. So called. I mean, it could look very trivial for to the, what we call as a naked eye. But how do we look at it? Do we look at problems spiritually? Or at the soul level? Or at the flesh level? That is the reason why we need the word of God. Constantly. So what happens to Pharaoh? Pharaoh hardens, hardens his heart. Seven days of the stench in Egypt. Seven days of stench. It's a completion, basically. Seven is a number of completion. That means he has shown that this world is completely stinking. Get out of it. But will Pharaoh listen? No. He will harden his heart. And by the way, it is an object lesson to all the Israelites as well. Okay? Now, this is important for us to understand. You see, there are ten um, plagues in Egypt. As I said, divisions three, three, three plus one. Very, very mathematical God is, okay? Three plus three plus three plus one. Three times three plus one. And every time he has three plagues, he does something very interesting. And today we'll see. Most probably we'll have to, we can stop here and then we can directly jump to the others because others, other plagues are not very significant. But this is a very significant part because both the Egyptians and the Israelites are, are experiencing these kind of judgments. So even the Israelites have to have to come to the conclusion, have to be convinced in their mind, Baba, this world is not my place. And that's possibly, probably one of the things, one of the reasons why God has judged the whole world in this particular judgment to tell us, to tell us, at least the believers don't get comfortable in this world. This world is not your place. This is Zoan. What is it? A place for, of your departure. It's a place of your departure. And the princes of Zoan are dum-dums. Don't trust in them. Alright, so let's go to the next 
sign. Go to Exodus chapter 8 and verse 1 onwards now. It says, and the Lord spoke to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. And we know frogs, what it is, what it stands for. It is unclean uh, spirits. We understand that, but let's move on. So the river which shall bring forth frogs. What shall bring forth? The same river which was judged will bring forth frogs. This is exactly what happens. Alright, I don't have to uh, analyze even any for, any more further. Let's move on. Which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedroom, or your, on your bed, into the houses of your servants, on your people, on your ovens, into your ovens, and into your kneading bowls. Oh boy. Everything will become unclean. See, a little leaven <laughs> leavens the whole lump. See, you see, you take, put a little, it's, it's, it's a symbol it's an outward sign of a spiritual truth that God is telling us. You put a little leaven before you know it. It, what we call as uh, ferments, right? It ferments the whole whole dough. What is fermentation? It ensures that no sugars are left. Am I right, doctor? Ferments, fermentation means all the sugar is gone. Mm. It's gone. So what happens? And the frogs shall come up on you and your people and all your servants. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, say to her, and stretch out your hand. And he did it. And the whole of Egypt is covered with frogs. And verse 7, and the magicians also. <laughs> I told you, you know, they don't solve the problem, they amplify the problem. They will only show you what the problem is. They will explain the problem to you. We have frogs. We have a virus. This is the strain of this virus. And it is mutating into 13 different trains, trains. Thank you. Solution? No. No solution. That is what we call as amplification. They amplify the problem. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron, finally. You see that? Now he calls. Entreat the Lord. And Moses says, okay, fine. Uh, verse 9, he says something very interesting. He says, Moses said to Pharaoh, accept the honor of saying, when I shall in- intercede for you. And verse 10, tomorrow, <laughs> and let it be according to your word. <laughs> this is what is the problem with unclean spirits. Okay, we know that. Revelation chapter 16, verse 13, for people who don't know, what does frog signify? We've looked at it in several contexts, but once again, we'll just put it up. Uh, 13, and 13 and 14, Revelation chapter 16, 13 and 14, and I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophets, the unholy trinity. For they are spirits of demons performing signs. So my goodness, think about this. So if there are signs and wonders being performed, it could well be an unclean spirit which is doing it. Okay. So don't get carried away with signs and wonders and miracles. Unclean spirits could be doing it. Which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Isn't it interesting? Science and wonders and miracles actually bring forth rebellion into the people and not submission. 
It's a stubborn and unrelenting spirit, by the way. Matthew chapter 12, we'll look at this. We've studied in several contexts. Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 onwards. Look at what it says. It says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept and put in order. And then he brings seven more demons, more powerful than him, more wicked and wild than him. Okay? And enters, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. So it shall be with this wicked generation. It has happened to them according to the proverb. The, the dog has gone back to its vomit. And the the wallow, the, 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 the swine or the swallow, right? What I know, okay, the pig, okay. Pig into the mire, in the wallowing of the mire. Pharaoh saw this. I mean, this is essentially stubborn spirits. They don't easily go. We'll talk about that. And you need to understand, this particular sign is also experienced by the Israelites. So, Moses stretches out his hand and there's a relent, the, the unclean spirits are driven out. And what has happened to Pharaoh? He hardens his heart. And then comes the judgment. Number three. This is so significant for us. The first is the judgment on the world. <laughs> Second, showing us the spirit that is driving the world. It is unclean spirits. And the third, let us look at third one. And let's uh, turn to uh, Exodus chapter 8 now and let's read from verse uh, uh, 17 onwards, 15 onwards, 15 onwards. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. So the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand, stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land so that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Other, tra- other translations, you will use the word gnats. G-N-A-T. Is KJV? KJV uses the word gnats. Okay. And they did so, for Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and struck the dust of the earth and became lice on man and beast. All the dust of the land became lice. I mean, can you imagine? This is crazy. Uh, lies on our children's hair is not very pleasant. You know that, right? <laughs> you know, this is lies all over. And uh, the magicians wanted to come and uh, amplify this problem also. And verse 18, now the magicians so worked with their enchantments to bring forth lies, but they could not. So there were lies on man and beast. And then verse 18, verse 19, the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God, but Pharaoh's heart grew hot. Stop there. It's a finger of God. Finger of God typifies four lessons. Four. Okay. You'll see this finger of God in here. Okay. You'll see it in Exodus chapter 32 where God writes the law and the tablets of stone. You'll see it in Daniel. And you'll see it in John. Which of course, a lot of people have omitted. I'm not going to go to those omissions, but I'm going to talk about a few lessons from here. This is in Daniel chapter 5. And let's read from verse, uh, before we go to verse 24 onwards, let us read a few verses 
prior to that so that we can understand the context here. Alright, let's read from verses 1 to 4 first and then let's read from verse 24 onwards. 1 to 4, yeah. Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast. And this is, of course, the heir of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, possibly his grandson. Made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave command to bring the gold and the silver vessels which which his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem. That the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of the Lord, which had been in Jerusalem. And the king and the lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine, praised the gods of gold ah, and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. Verse 6. Verse 5 and 6. At the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. The king's countenance changed. His thoughts troubled. His joints and his hips loosened. And his knees knocked against each other. That's a very interesting description. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. The joints loosened. Hips loosened. Knees knocked against each other. I, I want to just graphically depict. All of us can should imagine this. Okay. Joints loosened. Knees knocked against each other. Fantastic. And let's, uh, we know this, no? He immediately he cried for the astrologers. I told you, right? They never learn the lesson. They cried to the astrologers, the soothsayers and the Chaldeans and they said, we never have seen anything like this in our entire life. What? If you give this book to any man with worldly knowledge, he will never be able to understand it. This book is sealed, my dear brothers. It's only the Holy Spirit by which we have sealed the day of redemption who can unseal this book and reveal the deepmost truths in this book. Okay. And therefore, we need to really have a humble attitude. Let me know this. And his mother comes and says something very interesting. Turn with me to now chapter 5 and let's read from verse 17 onwards. 17. Hmm? Daniel answered and said hmm, before the king, let your gifts be for yourselves and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. Boy. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. This is, this is power. This is power. Okay. His wish is the law. This is sovereignty, meaning. He is a sovereign of the land, matlab. He, he owns everybody. Okay. And then, verse 20. But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit was what? Hardened how? With pride. See, what hardens your heart? It's when your heart is hard and you're stubborn, we know what is empowering you is a spirit of pride. Okay, it's more more dangerous than any other sin that you're struggling with. He was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. And what happened to him? And there was driven, that he was driven from the sons of men and his heart was made like the beasts. Dwelling was with donkeys. 
he fed, he fed him with grass like oxen, his body wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of heaven and appoints over it whomever he chooses. Sovereignty, right? God is sovereign. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, humbled your heart. Although you knew all this, you had first-hand information about this. It was not something which was hidden from your eyes. You knew exactly the reason why your father was going through what he was going through. And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you. And you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone. This is what Daniel's audacity. Look at this man. He's on fire for God. He he has no fear of anybody. Because he fears God. Which do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. And the next verse. The fingers of his hand were, it was not fingers of man's hand. It was the fingers of the hand were sent from him. So it was God's fingers. This is written. The inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Uparsin. What does Mene mean? Mene. God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. That is how heavenly languages. One small heavenly language is equal to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven words. Mene means seven words. So if you can speak in heavenly language, one word in heavenly language is equal to seven words in at least earthly language. That's what I see here. Tekel. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Tekel. <laughs> Good. Now Mene, seven words. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting and then. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the meats. And look at this fantastic man's Great response. Immediately he crowns him and he dies the next minute. Now think about this, my dear brothers. What is tekel? You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. That's exactly what is happening all around. Everything has been weighed in the balances and has found wanting, coming short. There's no solution. By the way, there's no solution to any problem, right? What the doctors can do is only prolong life. They can't stop death. Can they? Anything that you have in terms of technology can only come this far. This far. So they're trying their level best to come up with this incredible idea of eternal life. It's not going to happen. It's impossible. Anything that you do will always fall short. So that is the reason why it says... All have sinned and fallen short of the demands of God. There is a weight that God demands from each one of us. That is what we call His righteousness. And all that we put our trust in is our righteousness. You know what He says? It is like what? Something which falls short. It is an unjust scale or balance. So whatever you gain and you find your importance in it is your righteousness. And it will fall short. Look at what it says in Proverbs chapter 11 verse 4. <laughs> Several verses we can look at. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath. That is the reason why it says, but righteousness delivers from death. So what does Paul say in Romans chapter 1? He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. 
to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, what is revealed? The righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness of from faith from first to last. And it is given as a free gift to everyone who believes. Why? Because the wrath of God, he says, is against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. So there is a unrighteousness, whatever it is, when you compare it to the righteousness of God, it's absolute filthy and unclean. It says in Isaiah chapter 65, we all as an unclean thing and all our righteousness, righteousnesses, it says a plural of righteousness. Righteousness is of absolute filthy garments and it will all always fall short of the glory of God. And because of that, what is revealed against you? The wrath of God is revealed. And whatever riches, and that riches could be in even your righteous deeds. You know, it's in, in our country. Why are you giving also all these alms to others? Uh, I'm increasing my karma. Hoping that my karma on that day, when I put it on the balance, is going to balance out all my bad works. And somehow I'll be given entrance into heaven. Right. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath. But what delivers? What Whose righteousness, Baba? Not your righteousness, God's righteousness. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 2. <clears throat> Again, again, uh, treasures of wickedness, what? Profit, nothing, <coughs> but righteousness delivers from deaths. Zephaniah chapter 1 verses 17 to 18 and then chapter 2 verses 1 to 3. Zephaniah, Zephaniah chapter 1 verses 17 to 18. <coughs> I will bring distress upon men. And they shall walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be their blood shall be poured out like dust, and their flesh like refuse. And then, neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of His jealousy, for He will make speedy riddance of all those who dwell in the land. Boy, that day is coming, the day of His wrath. Okay, Zephaniah chapter 2 verses 1 to 3 now. Look at what it says. Gather yourselves together. Yes, gather yourselves together, O, o undesirable nation, before the decree is issued, or the day passes like shaft before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you. And then verse 3. Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, who have upheld his justice. What should we seek? Seek righteousness. Seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. Boy, seek his righteousness. Seek his righteousness, which is by faith and faith alone. And that is a continuous process. That is the reason why it says in the book of Ezekiel, if any man trusts in his own righteousness, and I put a stumbling block, and he falls, and he commits, Sin, all is righteousness. But if a if a wicked man repents, all is wickedness. I will not uh, put against him. Whereas, but I will grant him righteousness, and he will be saved. And therefore, we have to warn both the wicked and say repent, and also warn the people who are walking in righteousness that they will not begin to trust in their own, but they will continuously keep trusting in God because it is a righteousness. From faith to faith, from first to last. There's a righteousness which is by faith from first to last. That is the reason why Abraham believed in God in the uh, uh, in Exodus chapter 15 before he was circumcised. 
right? And it was credited to him as righteousness. And Abraham's faith was perfected when he offered Isaac on the altar. And book of James says, his work was, I mean, his faith was working together with his works. And his faith was what? Perfected, it says. There's a perfected. There's a spirit of just men becoming perfect. Therefore, if you're not progressing in our righteousness and increasingly allowing the spirit of God to help us walk by faith and not by sight, not to look at these, this world and turning away from the things of this world and turning our eyes and focusing our eyes on God. What happens is that, that's the reason why I said no. What is once said, always said, I don't know. I only believe in progressing in righteousness. Progressing. Progressing. Okay. Ezekiel chapter 7, verse 18 and 19. <clears throat> they will also be girded with sackcloth. Horror will cover them. Cover them. Shame will be on every face. Baldness on their heads. They will throw their silver into the streets. And their gold will be refused. Can you believe that? All your money? Hmm. Actually, I think Modi did something very interesting, our, our government. He did something very interesting. It was a parable of something which was going to happen on the day of the Lord. All your notes will not be able to. It will become what? Refuse. So if you have an old 500 rupee note now, what is it equal to? Understand that. Their silver and their gold will not be able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. They will not, they will not satisfy their souls nor fill their stomachs because it became their stumbling block of Iniquity. What became the stumbling block of iniquity? Their silver, their gold, their riches, their whatever their riches were. They thought on that day they'd be able to buy their salvation. No way. How, how deceitful riches are. That is the reason why Proverbs chapter 11 verse 1. We know it very well by this time. What is it? Dishonest scales are an ebb Abomination to the Lord. But just wait is his delight. What is an abomination to the Lord? Dishonest scales. I'll tell you what is what is dishonest scale. Any man who compares himself with himself is a fool. That is a dishonest scale. That is the reason why Luke's Gospel chapter 16 verse 16. We know it very well. 16, 16. It's very easy to remember. The law and the prophets. Sorry. Uh, just give me a minute. 16, 15 or 14 maybe. Where it says. Uh, 1670? Ah, yeah, 1615. Yes, 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 yes. 15. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. That is the reason why yesterday when Pastor was saying, right, he tells Abraham, walk thou before me and be thou. The word is blameless, okay. It's actually be thou perfect in KJV. Be complete. Be mature. Because it is walking before the Lord which matters. You can be blameless before men and absolutely corrupt before God. You know when we talk about justification by faith alone. That we are only trying to please God and not man. Ultimately it is man's 
God's opinion which matters. So you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart for whatever is highly esteemed among men is an abomination. Means whatever is highly esteemed among men is an unjust scales and balance which is an abomination to the sight of God, in the sight of God. It's an abomination. Whatever the opinions of men about you, how much we try to please, not uh, if not others, ourselves. Either either we are God or somebody else is our God in our lives. But I, that's what I tell you, no? Whenever you try to please men, in somebody's opinion and something which is so dear to your heart, you should tell this to yourself. If I'm justified by faith, who's my righteousness? Jesus is my righteousness. Jesus is my sanctification. Jesus is my redemption. Jesus is my wisdom. Wisdom, sanctification, redemption, righteousness. And if I am focusing my attention away from Jesus and putting it on somebody else, what are we saying? For example, if it is relationship. Okay. What are you telling your so-called you complete me person? You are my righteousness. You are my sanctification. You are my wisdom and ultimately become a fool. It's an unjust scale. And balance. If you turn to any person, okay, sometimes you turn to something else. It could be your career. Your career is your justification. It, say, it says about uh, Muhammad Ali, right? He said, or I think Rocky, maybe Rocky or Muhammad Ali, I think. He, why, why do they fight when they are absolutely old also? 35, 36 years, 37 years, that fellow senile still wants to fight. Why does he want to fight? Because that gives him his justification. That gives him his importance. That gives him his importance. The number of research papers gives you your importance. Otherwise, your peer review, <laughs> your peer, like, I remember when I first went to the university, right, when our, our director was giving us a talk for all the graduate students, he looked at us and he says, your research will be reviewed and it will not be your next door neighbor. It will be who? It will be the experts in your field. And by that time, then the moment he said that, your research will go to this university and that university and this university finished. Our heart went into our mouth. We, we thought we are gone. We'll never graduate with PhD. Yeah. Your peer, you will be peer reviewed. Who will be your person who will justify you that this guy deserves a PhD and he can be among us? We'll be the experts in your field. That is your righteousness. And it's interesting, the more you publish, the more unrighteous you feel. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? You know, uh, you, you talk to any director, any movie director, ask him, uh, which is the best movie? You know what he'll say? It is yet to come. Have you seen that? He's still not satisfied. It will not satisfy. You know something? The only person who can give you Satisfaction is God and only person who can give you hunger is God. The one who can hunger, give you hunger and satisfy, more hunger and more satisfaction is God and God alone. That is the reason why he says, blessed are you who hunger and thirst after what Baba? About righteousness which comes from God. And you will be what? Satisfied. Filled. And then you know what he does? You know Vijay, 
you think that this is what righteousness, I'm, I'm, I'll do something. I'm going to increase your capacity and I'm going to fill you more. I'm going to increase your capacity and I'm going to fill you more. The problem is only what God can fill, we try to fill with every other thing. And when we do that, we are saying, that is my righteousness. What it becomes? It becomes an unjust scale and a balance. You know what God says? Through Belshazzar, you have been found wanting. You have been weighed and you have been found wanting. You will be found wanting before God. That is the reason why it says, let God be true and every man alive. You think about the most honest man that ever lived in the, in, on planet earth. For example, even in our own country, at least to the best of my knowledge, the conscience is Gandhi. Now when he says, that Gandhi, whom you call the most honest man who ever lived, he only experimented with truth. But he could never handle truth, by the way. The requirements of God, I think, were something which are probing his conscience too. Okay, so... You've been weighed and found wanting. That is exactly what the finger of God depicts. What is what does it say? Finger of God says, you know what? All that you put your trust in, it is not only telling the Egyptians, it is also telling the Israelites who were living in Egypt, all that you put your trust in is wanting before God. It's judged. So, second, where do you find the finger of God. The finger of God comes first to show his righteous requirements. Second, spiritual order. Finger of God also shows his mercy. Because only he can fulfill those requirements. Turn with me now to John's Gospel chapter 8. Verse 2 onwards. 2 onwards. Hmm? Isn't it interesting? Where does Aaron strike the rod to the earth. Keep that in mind. And what do the Egyptian sorcerers say? This is the finger of God. Interesting. So let us go go to John's Gospel chapter 2. Now early in the morning, verse 2 onwards. 8, verse 2 onwards. 8, 2 onwards. Okay. Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple. And all the people came to him. And he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What should happen to her? You should stone her. The only stone, that is Jesus, who is a perfect stone, can cast stone on her. These are all unjust fellows. With their, all their unjust scales and balances. But what do you say? And they said this testing him that they might have something to, uh, something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, <laughs> I love it like that, and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Oh, that's an awesome thing. Stop there oh, for a minute. You know, um, I remember one, one man of God, uh, in his testimony, he mentions this, okay? He lived an absolute debaucherous lifestyle before he got converted. And uh, somebody gave him a copy of the New Testament. 
and he was traveling from Europe to to Middle East on a trawler, and uh, he didn't have anything to do. His life is an absolute mess. He comes to the to the end of his life. Everything around him has come to you know a standstill. All has failed. Now, what has happened? What does he do? He takes this New Testament. Somebody has given him a copy of the New Testament. He starts opening. He opens to John's Gospel. And I'm, I'm, you know, so many people got converted after having, after reading John's Gospel. Okay, even that man, what's his name? Uh, we call him the walking, talking Bible. Rajkumar Ramachandran. He also got converted when he read John's Gospel. So he is reading through John's Gospel and he comes to this point. He comes to this point. He is impressed by Jesus' you know, the way he deals with the Pharisees and the people around him. And he comes to John's Gospel, chapter 8, where this woman who is caught in adultery is brought to Jesus. And he's reading the account until that point, when he looks at that woman who's caught in adultery, you know what he says? I'm looking at that woman, and she literally represents my life. And when I'm looking all the, at all these Pharisees, according to the law, they have to stone her. And I'm waiting as to what Jesus is going to do. So he comes to this point in verse 6, which Jesus stoops to the ground. He writes the, uh, writes the, something on the ground, right? He closes the book and he's praying. His heart is beating against his chest. He doesn't know what is going to happen next, okay? He's saying, what is going to happen? What is going to happen? What is he going to happen? What is he going to do? What is he going to do? And then comes the, because according to the law, she has to be stoned. And I know this Jesus, he's a righteous man and he's also a friend. incredibly merciful man. What is he going to do? What is he going to do? Is he going to say, killer? If he says, killer, I also deserve to die. This because she represents my life. And isn't it true that that person actually represents all of our lives? Think about it. Think about it. According to the standards of God, who hasn't committed adultery? I'm talking to men. And women also. These days. Because women also have become very visual creatures, very sadly. Unfortunately. Who has not committed adultery? And we know that that person represents us. What is God, what is God going to do? And verse, verse 7. And so when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to him, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And he <laughs> stooped. It's remarkable. No? What happens next? Then those who heard it, that's it. You see, That is Jesus over here. The most holy man. Absolutely pure, righteous, holy, merciful. He typifies God there. Absolutely. If any man had any right to throw the stone, he he was the first one. Even he should be the one. He is the one who upholds all righteousness and everybody is looking at his life and they all know when they come to the standards of Jesus, nobody can meet those standards. They are all convicted and cut to their heart. Convicted by the conscience. Went one by one. From the oldest to the youngest. I think the oldest, for isn't it interesting, the oldest to the youngest? Oh my goodness. And Jesus was left alone. The only just stone among them, if you will. 
and the woman standing in her in their midst and jesus says to her woman where are your accusers and she says no one has anyone condemned you no one you know what happens at that moment jesus upholds righteousness okay we we heard it in so many contexts he not only upholds his righteousness he also justifies her and lets her go he says i also don't condemn you whose opinion is that god's opinion okay i also don't condemn you and and he says something very interesting he says don't sin anymore so what does he do he on the on the on the ground he possibly marks a line i don't know i'm just speculating puts a line over here and he says if you want to kill her cross me if you think that you got my standards and you can st- throw the stone at her otherwise get lost okay now turn with me to exodus chapter 8 verse 22 onwards this is from the fourth sign okay and in that day i will set apart what interesting isn't it <laughs> the land of goshen in which moses my people will dwell isn't it amazing now what has happened the ultimate thing is the accusation of the enemy you are a people who are partook of the world you are a people who partook of all their sins and their uncleanness and you know what they have every right to point out fingers at you but i draw a line now i draw a line you come you confess i will give you my righteousness as a gift and from that day onwards there'll be a separation from my people and egypt from fourth sign onwards nothing will fall on my people there'll be a distinction you know what the magician say this is the finger of god we cannot put any accusation against the people of israel anymore because their cost god has justified them you know something that is something which is amazing isn't it what did this lady do nothing to deserve mercy what did we do nothing to deserve mercy only we did one thing you know what we did we went to him and he said lord this is my my life this is who i am you know what they, you know what jesus will say no more pointing fingers at you you will be mine go and sin no more that is the most difficult part so first one is justification and now you have become my people right <laughs> so how do you walk now to be persons who will not be influenced by the world and not be influenced by any unclean spirit in your life what should you do now Exodus chapter 8 sorry 31 was 18 Exodus chapter 31 was 18 and after that second Corinthians chapter 4 was 4 okay and when he had made an end of speaking with him on mount sinai he gave Moses two tablets of stone or, or tablets of the testimony tablets of stone written with the finger of god very interesting turn to Luke's gospel chapter 11 verse 20 okay. 
if I cast out demons by the finger of God, what has come upon you? The kingdom of God has come upon you. Fantastic. Awesome. So what, Lord? What am I supposed to do now? Turn to Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 onwards. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe, lest the... Sorry. So, 3, sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. Chapter 3, verse 4 onwards. I apologize, doctor. My numbers are wrong today, okay? And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. And verse 6, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but the... The letter kills, but the... So what am I going to do right now? I am going to write my law with my spirit, not on the tables of stone, but on your heart. And I am going to cause you to walk in my ways. How am I going to do that? How am I going to do that? Is a question. How am I going to do that? Very important, right? But something which is very, very important. Now turn with me to Matthew, sorry, Mark's Gospel chapter 1 and verse 23 onwards. Mark's Gospel chapter 1 verse 23 onwards. Now there was a man in the synagogue. Okay, so uh, verse 21, sorry, 21 onwards, 21 onwards, yeah. They went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and okay, everybody in your Bible circle taught. Okay. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught as one having authority and not as the scribes. We looked at it in so many contexts. And then, now there was a man in the synagogue with an what spirit? Unclean spirit. And cried out saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? And I know that you are the Holy One of God. And he says, get out of this place. And they are all absolutely stunned. Uh, the teaching. Alright. So one thing, what does, it, what does God do? He comes and speaks something and declares you absolutely right. Just drive, drives out every demon from outside of you. And says, you are clean before me now. Absolutely clean. So what do I do now? Next. Okay. Now turn to Romans chapter 6. Okay. Verse 17 onwards. You see, my teaching will be revolving around the same verses in different, different orders. We, what we call as weight, weights in optimization. Okay. I will put all the weights in different, different places and put weights like that. Okay. It's called windows in optimization. Okay. <laughs> if those people who know optimization know what I'm talking about. Romans chapter 6 verse 17 onwards. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart. What? That form of doctrine to which you were delivered and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. And what happens? I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members to what? What, 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 uncleanness. Now, when the teaching comes, continue to grow in teaching that you will not present your members to uncleanness, which is increasing to, which is taking you to lawlessness and more lawlessness. But you know what? I am going to walk not only in my, not I'll not just be delivered. I will begin to walk in my deliverance. Okay, that is how I do it. It's very easy to get delivered from an unclean spirit. It is very difficult to walk in deliverance. So what what do we do? We can continuously start studying and learning and asking the spirit of God to write his law on the tables of our heart even as we begin to meditate upon upon the scriptures over and over and over and over again it will cleanse you, it will wash you and even as you are washed and cleansed every 
everything of the demonic will keep getting out of your life. And you'll become more and more and more what? Clean. Understood that? Otherwise, Matthew chapter 12, verse 43. What does it say? When an unclean spirit is gone out of a man, it seeks what? Dry places. And so it goes through the driver seeking rest and finds none. And it comes back. This is the danger. That is the reason why a lot of people uh, sin, repent, sin, repent, sin, repent. It's an eternal cycle for them. But they haven't never broken that cycle simply because they haven't taken the pains. It is a painful thing. It is be first one thing to be baptized. The other thing is to come under the apostles' doctrine and the fellowship and the breaking of bread. And to ensure that your mind is increasingly transformed and your mind is increasingly cleansed more and more and more from all unclean thoughts. So one day, at least to a certain level, if not completely, you will have this testimony. You know what I was and what I am today. I think less unclean than what I used to think before. It's lesser and lesser. And you know what God does? Slowly he does it. Slowly. One step at a time. It's not going to happen. It might happen drastically. It, it might happen gradually. But we'll allow God to be sovereign. But one thing we need to do. Let the Spirit of God write his law on the tables of our heart by the finger of God. Which is the finger of God? It is the Spirit of God. It's the teaching of God. That is the reason why, if you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5 now, verse 17 onwards. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17 onwards. Look at what it says. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of God is. Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. How? We know it. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16. And then, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your hearts. This is the only way we begin to fight every unclean thing in our lives. It's a testimony for all of us, of all of us, right? The more we start thinking on God, the less we start sinning. The more we start meditating upon God and it slowly cuts and over a period of time, you know what will happen? This doesn't satisfy me. And even if you go there immediately, you'll never be comfortable in the world. You'll never. You'll watch, those days you used to watch movies without a, without, with a clear conscience, No? You can go and sit there happily watch. Now if you watch it, even on YouTube, it's not going to be easy. Right? Right, Sami? Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay. Even on YouTube, you'll say, hey, this is not that. It's not somewhere. Something unclean is there. That is enough to mess us up. Okay. So it's constant cleansing. Constant cleansing. That is the reason why, you know, it, what Peter says, he says, he says, with so many other words, he exhorted them to be saved from this perverse generation. Okay? To be separated from this perverse generation. Turn with me now to Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Look at what it says. Therefore, Come out from among them. Be 
separate, says the Lord. Do not touch. Okay. That is the reason why he says in Thessalonians, he says, run away from every semblance of uncleanness. What? Whatever, even if it's a semblance of evil, just run away. Depart from even a smallest semblance of evil, just run away from there. That is what we say, you know, put a premium on yourself. This is important for me, God, because this is important for you, important for you. Because that day I want to see you face to face. And if any man has this hope, what does he do? He purifies himself, cleanses himself, and he keeps on cleansing from the spirit of this world, separating himself to God. Come out from among them, touch not unclean thing. And verse 18. I will be to your, be to you a father, I will be your father and you shall be my sons and daughters. So how do we do this? How do we do this? The same chapter, chapter 6 and verse 12 onwards. <clears throat> You'll see that. Oh yeah. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now in turn for the same. Was you, uh, was 14 maybe? Sorry. Yeah. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What does this unbeliever mean? Tell me. It's simple. Whoever is not edifying you in the faith, depart from him. Okay. It could be even a believer in the church who is not increasing your faith but increasing your doubts. That is the reason why he says in Timothy, he says, don't speak words which increase contentions but only speak words which edify Very important. Otherwise you are an unbeliever. Then second, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Then what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? Communion with has light with darkness? Accord has Christ with Belial? Believer with an unbeliever? Part. What part has in, in and what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God had said, I will dwell in them. Walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Put a premium. So Lord, I will choose my friends. Quote, unquote. Okay. Very, very carefully. Only those, like you can be kind to everybody, but only few friends in your life. Only those people who can improve, I mean, who will uh, help you in your walk with the Lord, who will challenge you on the walk of holiness, who will challenge you in the walk of faith. Because there are so many voices clamoring for our attention. Voices of unbelief. Silence them all. And they may not, they may not understand us. They might get offended. Silence them all. I do not want to have any part with those people who will not help me in my walk of faith. Okay. I will touch them. That is the reason why he tells Jeremiah. They should not influence you, but you should influence them. Okay. Alright, so Revelation chapter 18 verse 2. Let's see that. Yeah. And after these things, yeah, and he cried mightily with a loud voice, fallen, fallen. It's a, yeah, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, a cage for every unclean and hated bird. And the next verse, which says, come out from, uh, does it say, where, where is this, where, where is, I, I forgot to. Four, verse four, yeah. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. Come out. Come out and be separate. 
That is the reason why, you know what church is called? It is called a ecclesia, means what? Called out of this world. Separated to God. Separate yourself. Have this mark of God over your life. Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 3 to 5. Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 3 to 5. Now the glory of God of Israel had gone out from the cherub where it had been to the threshold of the temple and he called to the man who clothed with linen who had the writer's inkhorn on his side, at his side. And the Lord said to him, go through the midst of the city, to the midst of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done within it. To the others he said in my hearing, go after them through the city and kill. Do not let your eyes spare nor have any pity. Verse 6 and 7. Utterly slay. Old and young men. Maidens, little children, women. But do not come near anyone on whom is the mark. They know there is a mark of the beast. There is a mark of the people of God. You know who are these people of God? Who are those people who understand this place is not my place. And who cry and weep over the abominations. And verse 7, finally. Then he said to them, defile the temple, fill the courts with the slain, go out. And they went out and killed in that city. So it was that while they were killing them, I was left alone and I fell on my face and cried out and said, Ah Lord, will you kill, will you destroy all the remnant of Israel in pouring out your fury on Jerusalem? See, this is, this is a picture of God's judgment, you know. I'm, I don't want to go into the details of it. One thing, Lord, I want to have that mark that I'm yours. That's all. So first Timothy, Chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. Chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. First, sorry, 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having the seal. The Lord knows those who are His. How does He know? Once you have dealt with You've judged the world. You've been ensuring that you come under teaching which will help you drive out every uncleanness inside of you. Okay. Every accusing finger has been stopped and God says, you know what? There's no more condemnation. There is, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You become mine. Okay. Nevertheless, a solid foundation. Having this seed, the Lord knows those who are His. So he just knows all those who are his. Let everyone who names the name of Christ, what should he do? Depart from iniquity. But in a great house, <laughs> there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor, and verse 21 and 24. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful for the master, Prepared for every good work. Therefore, flee youthful lust. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. You see this? Such a deliberate thing. This is flee and pursue. Flee and pursue. Run away and pursue. These are all deliberate things. We don't just automatically happen. Like uh, yesterday, Pastor was saying that Tozer's... Uh, um, uh, reading, you know, he wrote actually a book called "This World Is Not a Playground; It Is a Battleground." He actually cites that. Actually, okay, it's, it's not a playground. 
We are not playing games. Okay. What, what has happened? All the things in our around us, it has literally uh, desensitized us to the seriousness of God. Entertainment, sport, everything. All has stopped, no? Everything has stopped. We lo- I mean, I, I used to think that, you know, uh, I don't watch IPL. I did, I, don't know, I never wanted to watch. I didn't like IPL, of course. But then I subscribed to Hotstar. For what? Tennis. Yeah, thank you. Because my great man, Rafa, is still there. So, now, I, I, <laughs> now everything has stopped. There is no tennis. There's no Olympics. Everybody's in a fix. What are you going to do? God is going to put a clear demarcation now between his people and the people of the world. You deal with, that is the reason why Isaiah 58, last verses and we will stop. Isaiah 58, verses 8 and 9, or 7 to 9 now, 7, 58. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who cast who are cast out? This is basically talking about the fast. When you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. And your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. When? If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of finger and speaking of wickedness, take away that accusing finger from you. Or pointing of fingers, I told you, no? Can you see this? The woman you gave me. Me. Me comes fast. You don't even uh, see that fellow there. Okay. The woman you gave. Adam. Madam. <laughs> and what is ma- madam? Sarpam. <laughs> That's how it goes. No. Nobody takes responsibility. And God will say, will you? Will you? And the moment you do that, and I clothe you with my righteousness, you become Mine, and after that, I'm gonna separate. I'll put a mark on the ground, wherever that is, between my people and your people, and you will not share in those abominations. And you will continuously be cleansed by the washing of water by the word, and becoming more and more and more separate from every uncleanness in your life. The best way to get delivered from evil spirits and demons, you know what? Pour water, keep pouring water, keep pouring water and more and more and more and more water till every vestige of uncleanness is gone. When is that gone? Till Jesus comes. <laughs> till Jesus comes. That is the reason why Paul says, the time of my departure is at hand, but please don't forget the parchments. Okay, the crown of righteousness is waiting for me. But that does not mean I'm not going to study my way to heaven. I'm going to continuously get, I don't know, he studied and maybe he read his own letters. 
more and over and over and over again. The scriptures over and over and over and over again. And he became cleansed and got separate. And may the Lord put a finger, I mean, draw a line out on, on whatever, <laughs> a spiritual demarcation with the finger of God. And may we also have our hearts written by the finger of God, the law of God in our hearts and on our minds that we will overcome every unclean thought, sin in our lives and we will overcome and be separate and say, Lord, cleanse me and wash me and make me your own. Let's we, let, shall we pray and then we, we can close. Father, we just thank you, Father, for this time. I pray, Father, that, Lord, you would impress your word in the deepest parts of our heart and cause us to walk in your ways. For in Jesus' name, grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us even during these coming days. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.